Merry Christmas, listeners, and welcome to the Eco Chamber, a podcast on the forefront of UK environmental policy, which is brought to you by the team at the ENDS Report. In this week's Xmas special, we'll be looking back on the highs and the lows of 2023, including the best environmental gaffes of this year. We'll be going all watchdog as we uncover the worst environmental criminals of 2023. And of course, top of the poops. It's back and we'll find out which companies leaked their rank destruction upon our riverbanks and Christmas wreaths. So let's get to it, folks, as we explore this week's Eco Ho 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 Chamber. We're all guilty of saying silly things and our politicians are no different. As we come to the end of 2023, ENDS has decided to look back at some of our favourite moments from Westminster, some that they may prefer to forget. But we do not. We keep the record. To help jog my memory this week, I have ENDS reports Pippa Neal and Shosha Aidy. So, Pippa, which politician are you naming and shaming on this special edition of the Eco Chamber? So I'm going to kick us off with Trudy Harrison. Excellent. Um, she definitely had an interesting and pretty wide brief at DEFRA. Um, she was responsible for the domestic natural environment, wildlife and land use, climate change adaption, tree planting and forestry, landscapes and access, and that included rights of way and coastal paths. So mm. a pretty broad um, environment brief. Mm. Um, but she has become known, particularly in the ENS Report newsroom, for her use of colourful language. Right. Um, and I've picked out a few of my favourites from the past 12 months. Um, so the first one um, is a story by Shosha, where at the Conservative Party conference in October, she said that the solution for tackling nutrient pollution was finding an optimal use for that fairly powerful substance that we call shit. <laughs> <laughs> In March, she also said that she wanted to take a chainsaw to the time it takes to plant a new tree, which, you know, is an interesting metaphor to use there. (laughs) (laughs) And one of my personal favourites is that she made the case that schools should be holding politicians to account over the vulnerability of protected sites. Mm. So this was in um, an online kind of um, talk. She said, I want local schools to hold politicians to account to the vulnerability of triple SIs in that area. Do you think a school could even know what a triple SI yeah. is? It's a very, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, Politicians yeah. to account. I mean, to be fair, like with Greta um, Thunberg, I do feel like kids have been put, like a lot of pressure is on them to to raise awareness of climate issues. But I don't think the government should be mm. relying on them. Yeah. Well, they have to know about TPOs as well, if she's keen on chains and <laughs> protection orders. Okay, so Harrison's at the helm. Let, let's give her some some credit where the credit's due. What, what's been her biggest success, Shosha? Well, in her own words, she um, when she stood down in November, she said publishing the Environment Improvement Plan was a highlight, um, being able to build on the Environment Act, increasing tree and hedgerow planting, supporting the woodland and forestry industries, and spending her days working for the benefit of nature. And she said she's going to highlight those those memories forever, or treasure them, actually. She'll treasure them forever. Treasure them. I... I... I, I picked up on one thing because in her own word, when, whenever a politician has their own words, you've, we've always got to be careful, haven't we? Because she has technically under her leadership um, improved tree planting in England. I looked at the numbers. So for the data of 2022-2023, but actually when you look at those numbers across the UK, she's cleverly disguised the language here because actually they fell because I think it's like a 2,000 hectare drop off in Scotland of, of tree planting. 
And moreover, not to sort of dampen Trudy Harrison's torch, EAC, the Environmental Audit Committee, have basically said that their the government's tree planting targets are so way off, it's ridiculous. And foresters, policymakers will know we're, we're planting at about 13,000 hectares a year across the UK. The government wanted 30,000 hectares planted a year by 2025. So we're very, you know, 13,000, 30,000, only a couple of years left, less than that. Sorry, Trudy, I'm, I'm not buying the tree planting, but maybe she, you know, get the school children involved. Maybe they'll have the answer. That might be the genius that she realised that we didn't. Right. What's been your favourite politician and the favourite gaffes, Shosha? My pick would have to be Therese Coffey. Um, Strong choice. She really is the queen of, of gaffes, I hope we can say on this podcast. Um so our former environment secretary had some wonderful moments during her time in charge and some even better gaffes. Um, one of the more memorable ones uh, was her ode to turnips. In March, she was giving a response to salad shortages following a cold spell in southern Spain and North Africa when she said it's important to ensure that we cherish the specialisms that we have in this country. And a lot of people will be eating turnips right now rather than thinking necessarily about aspects of lettuce and tomatoes and similar. Uh, but I'm conscious our consumers want a year-round choice. So, yes, her comments about the turnips attracted ridicule, even from the likes of Vladimir Putin. Which is mental. Which is mental. I know, I thought that was a joke. Right? <laughs> <laughs> what did Putin have to say? Well, he said turnips were good, but you'd probably have to get them from Russia. Um, Lols. Which, yes, that's just a no. And I think that... It's <laughs> a <laughs> so no right now. Um, and she seemed unaware that while she was cherishing British produce, Britain's biggest turnip grower, and this, I think, is just the cherry, cherry on top, A.W. Mortier, um, based in her own constituency, had stopped growing them months earlier because of stores' unwillingness to pay higher prices to make up for rising costs of energy. Because, yeah, that, it's interesting because she ends her speech by saying, what well, you read, plus, and that is why that is what our supermarkets and food producers and growers are trying to satisfy. Mm. Which, yeah, the fact that her own Suffolk grower stopped growing those turnips, I think it just... It's, it's yeah, many levels. In fact, you could say it was like an onion. That it would maybe was like a an onion, <laughs> exactly yeah. right. Lots of layers. So with the rest of our turnips coming from Spain and Portugal, she's also gone up against bananas, hasn't she, Pippa? Sort of from turnips to bananas. Yeah. So this was another line from the Conservative Party conference, which <laughs> I think <laughs> keeps <still> yeah, giving. <laughs> yeah, I do think if any you know anyone else has attended these, it definitely these party conferences. It's definitely where you do get some good sound bites from politicians. Um, but she used her speech to hit out at green zealots who think our farmers should stop rearing livestock and instead we should eat fake meat. Um, and she reiterated that the party would not be banning meat, something which they've actually never said they would do, but somehow keeps making the headlines, um, and said her officials would be cutting red tape, dropping absurd regulations, including the one on bendy bananas. Now, this has gone on for so long. You know, the, the tabloids went for this year, decades ago. What is the EU regulation about bendy bananas? Yes, so it's a 1994 piece of regulation, specifically the Commission Regulation 2257-94, although it now sits under an umbrella piece of legislation. 
And in short, it states that bananas must be free from malformation or abnormal curvature, but it doesn't ban bendy bananas. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, and what about those green zealots then who want fake meat? Yeah, so in her speech, she said that while fake meat might be okay for astronauts, she says when people think of a meat feast, she wants them to be thinking of our great Welsh lamb or Aberdeen Angus beef, not some pizza topping. Jokes. Astronauts and pizza toppings. Fantastic. (laughs) Finally then with coffee, sometimes it's not the things we say, but the things we do. Shosha, she's made some gaffes there too, hasn't she? She has. And I think, you know, it's a really hard brief that she was given in a way because of the sewage scandal, you know, being something that's on the top of the public agenda at the moment. But, you know, you should rise to the occasion. And I think sometimes she fell short. Uh, for example, in April, she was trolled online for praising wild swimming um, with her arms outstretched next to a very muddy and sludgy waterway on the bank of the River Deben. It's a great photo. Um, it is, isn't it? It's great. <laughs> yes, and I think if we go back to the Conservative Party conference, uh, there was a moment where I got to ask a question in one of the talks she was giving, and she did say that, you know, we can't underestimate the power of the sun in terms of disinfecting the sea. Um, and although, you know, it's a valid point because UV can treat sewage, it's not really going to solve the problem. And just briefly going back to then the photo, it was she, maybe she's expecting the power of the sun to deal with what was what, I understand, an E. coli ridden creek which flowed into that stream with which she was standing in front of the river. Maybe it comes into a sort of full circle moment here. But yes, oh, sometimes it's just unfortunate timing, isn't it? Uh, a sad day for the death of a PR office. Um, I'm going to give an honourable mention to Graham Stewart, our now climate minister, um, over evoking the devil to comments he made in January to the all-party parliamentary group for the environment, where he reiterated his support for the latest oil and gas licensing round. That's not the gaff, But very interesting that he asserted that a more nuanced take on fossil fuels was required, quote, rather than viewing all fossil fuels as the spawn of the devil. <laughs> the devil may disagree. Very reassuring from our one and only climate minister. Indeed. And he went on actually uh, last month to say that in, in, in the pushing for the phase out of fossil fuels, that there was, quote, nothing fundamentally wrong with oil and gas it's the emissions that come from them that are critical. Okay, that's why we want to see the removal of the emissions from oil and gas to the maximum extent possible. And for those listening to the previous episode of the podcast about COP28, you know, the phase out of abated fossil fuels or unabated, you know, we don't really have any working technologies that can really deal with that massive abatement, that carbon capture and storage solution yet. From the verbal and non-verbal slips, trips and falls of politicians then to the worst environmental offenders of 2023, we have rounded up the villains of the year in one neat place. That is the eco-chamber. And up first, who do we have? So I've got quite a crazy story for listeners. Um, (laughs) And this is about a waste gang who were found guilty of bribery and corruption for their shady dealings at a waste management facility that was run by Cardiff City Council. Um, The story and the press release that came out is a bit like a detective novel. Uh, The dodgy site first caught South Wales Police's attention after a whistleblower flagged the corruption to them. 
Um, and the chief villain of the story here is Warren Roberts, who was the controller of waste disposable company A&T Waste Management. And he was ultimately found guilty of paying bribes to council staff to misrepresent the type and amount of waste being disposed of at the site to reduce his company's tipping fees. Um, and we're talking big numbers. It's thought that Roberts who ran the scheme from November 2016 to February 2018, resulted in losses of around £417,000 to the council on fees that they'd otherwise have been entitled to. Um, and sticking with the detective theme, on the day of his arrest, around £40,000 in cash was recovered from his address. <laughs> so yeah, I don't think that council politics or waste stories isn't uh, dramatic. It definitely <laughs> is. Um, and he ultimately pleaded guilty to charges of bribery and was sentenced to 28 months in prison. There were other people involved in the case, but Roberts was the main culprit in this one. I'm just imagining 40 grand of cash just like wedged under my bed or in my bin or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where would you put it? That's a good point. Oh, God knows. That's amazing. I've never seen that much cash in person. No. Let alone thought about where to store it. I know, his heart was <laughs> broken when the police took it from him. <laughs> Oh, that is a very worthy nomination uh, for for this year's Eco Chamber. Um, so then we've got Naughty Waste Villains. Who have you got nominated, Shosha? I don't think a villains lineup would be complete without John Price, mm. um, who many might know just from that name alone. Um, but he's that Herefordshire potato farmer um, of Dayhouse Farm in Kingsland. Um, he was sentenced to 12 months in prison which was later reduced actually to 10 months and given quite a hefty fine after the wanton destruction of one of the UK's protected rivers. Okay, so he was, so, he was jailed this year. He was jailed this year. Okay. Um, his case was heard in April. He was found guilty of charges that included dredging and reprofiling a 1.5 kilometre stretch of the protected river Lug, which is a triple SI at Kingsland. And he used heavy machinery to do this. He was initially fined 1.2 million, um, but that was also reduced and that was uh, made 600,000. Um, and he had quite a lot of supporters who mm. um, were not happy to see him sentenced, actually, as well as the other side that were really happy and wondered why it hadn't happened sooner. Yeah, so because I'm going to throw a curveball here, like hero or villain? Villain or hero, John Price. We'll keep going with that. Can you just sort of give us a bit more detail about what he did, what he got up to? So in November 2020, going back in time here, um, Price took it upon himself to reprofile the lug which he said that he had permission to do. Um, and as you mentioned, this is where it gets complicated. So at the time, Price was able to produce a letter of consent from Natural England that was seen by ENDS, which allowed him to fell or coppice up to 250 older or willow trees on the, the river lug banks. The licence covered the period um, from the 10th of April 2019 to the 10th of April 2024, which he said took two years to obtain. He said he had not removed any trees by their roots, just coppiced those he felt uh, needed it, describing it as good husbandry. Although the BBC reported that in total 71 mature trees within the Triple SI were completely uprooted and 24 trees were felled. Okay. So muddying the waters further, Price insisted that the Environment Agency called him in August of 2020 to tell him he was in breach of his permits because he had not got round to putting gravel back in the river. Um, following an erosion which occurred after heavy rainfall. Price then began to address this issue with the bulldozer to put 
the gravel back and he hired a 16 ton machine to help him do so hence the heavy machinery referenced in the charges um but he was told by the agency to stop that's hero price and and you know i suppose one one sort of witness statement so to speak uh using the detective analogy we've got kings and parish council which had been in conversation with the ea about managing that stretch of the lug following the storm dennis 2019 and they sort of backed up Price's argument. They were saying they were having problems with sort of a bridge upstream of um, the flooding, which is where the flooding occurred. I actually had been to this location where just after Johnny Price had, had, had <laughs> bulldozed the bank. And it was like a pristine, when I got there, it was like a pristine, all mud, completely n- devoid of anything. But it was just like this very neat manicured, earth bund it was really bizarre i sort of turned around on the bridge and was like oh my god i know where we are <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is price's territory um okay so that's the good that's the good so is he really the villain in this story shosha well the courts certainly um thought so and then had a bit of a wobble and changed their minds a little bit. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, but the sentence was divisive. Nearly 15,000 people signed a petition calling for the court ruling to be overturned. Um, the petition itself described Price's work as a most amazing job clearing the banks and dredging the bottom of the river lug. Mm. Um, but the Herefordshire Wildlife Trust took the opposite view. It said that at the time, the section of the lug had been bulldozed, straightened and reprofiled into a sterile canal, which actually sounds a bit like what you mm, described it, it to be as well. Yeah. Um, and all the bankside and riverside habitats have been completely, in their words, obliterated. Yeah, it was. There was nothing there, just mud compacted mud mm. which is not very biodiverse no um the environment agency also insisted he didn't have an environmental permit which would have allowed the landowner to undertake the works himself um and the ea brought the case against price alongside natural england describing it as the worst case of riverside destruction it had seen and explaining it would take decades to re-establish mature trees and restore the diversity of the river mm. I would be interesting to see what it looks like now, actually. If we have any Herefordshire listeners around the lug, do send in your photos to ecochamber at haymarket.com. I would love to see it. There is another twist to this tale, isn't there, Pippa? Uh, yes. So in July, Price was actually released from prison less than three months into his 10-month sentence. Um, and at the same time, a spokesperson for the prison services said Price underwent a tough risk assessment before he was approved for a home detention curfew with strict rules in place. Price, villain or hero, let us know using the hashtag EcoChamber. And that leads us on to our final discussion, which is Top of the Poops, where we look at the worst water pollution fines of 2023. Right, Pippa, what's your nomination? So I'm going to go with Thames Water, which received the biggest penalty of the year at 3.5 million. So in 2017, Thames Water flooded rivers and streams with millions of litres of sewage um, after a pump at the Crawley Sewage Works became faulty, filling the storm lagoon with untreated sewage, which then overflowed despite there being no storm conditions. Uh, Can you give us uh, the rundown of the sentence? At Lewis Crown Court, Thameswater was sentenced after pleading guilty to four breaches of the Environmental Permitting Regulations 2016. Nice. So what was the impact on the ground? So the sewage stretched for five kilometres along the Gatwick Stream and the River Mole between Crawley and Hawley. 
Um, and the EA reportedly discovered 1,400 dead fish after the incident. But the court heard that this was a fraction of the number that the regulator actually believes would have been killed. Right. An officer who attended the incident said that the river mole was carpeted with dead fish, which, yeah, is a really horrifying and disturbing image. Speaking in the court, an EA senior officer, Jamie Lloyd, who led the investigation, said that Thameswater missed several opportunities to prevent this incident from occurring. He said that staff were oblivious to issues and did nothing to intervene. He said that when the alarm was raised, no decisive action was taken until the damage was already done, and Thameswater then failed to take responsibility for the incident until several years later, and didn't provide the information when requested by the Environment Agency during the investigation. It was quite interesting, the judge's words, I thought, against Thameswater. Yeah, it was pretty strong language. Um, Judge Christine Lang said that Thameswater had shown a deliberate attempt to mislead the EA over the incident, and described the number of penalties Thameswater has already been given this year as extremely serious. So how bad is Thameswater's track record? According to the Enterports Fines Monitor, the company has received 20 financial penalties in total in the past decade, including that one, the largest being a fine of more than £20 for a discharge of approximately 1.9 billion tonnes of sewage into the Lower Thames Valley. I remember that one. Yeah, this fine um, at the time was the largest given to a water company. Um, it was in 2017. That was actually knocked out the water by um, the Southern Water Fine that came in 2021, which was 92.5 million. Nice. Um, and that was also for a water offence. So they would have been top of the poops for that year, for sure. Yes. Nice. <laughs> Do we know how much Thames Water has been fined You know, across the, the data that we hold for the fines monitor? I think it's around um, 40 million at the latest total. And if for end subscribers, if they're interested in knowing more about the pollution, the numbers, the costs, the regulations, they can use our ENDS Fines Monitor, which has data going back to... 20... 2013. 2013. Nice. Okay, subscribers, get to it. Find out your top of the poops for the decade. That's the challenge. But what has Thames Water then said in its defence for this particular fine. Speaking at the time, the interim joint chief executive of Thames Water, Catherine Ross, who interestingly was the former chief executive of the water regulator Offwatt, said that Thames Water is deeply sorry for the entirely unacceptable pollution incident. Ross, who actually attended the incident, said that the error had never happened on this site before and it has not happened since. Okay, I think she was sincerely apologetic and of course you would be. Um, fair enough. Um but if you think if you think things can't get any worse for Thames Water, they actually can, can't they? Yes, they can. Um, there was a huge problem this year surrounding Thames Water's fourteen billion debt pile. That's fourteen billion, not million. Mm. Um, with the government confirming at the time it was drawing up contingency plans, including temporary nationalisation of the company. Um, now, if you speak to different people, they say that's either played up or played down. But um, back in June, Thames Water Chief Executive Sarah Bentley resigned less than three years into the job, which triggered a panic. It was also less than three years into their action plan, um, which she'd stated. So in total, that 14 billion figure represents almost a quarter of the total 60 billion debt pile run up by the privatised water companies in just over three decades. And mm. Thames Water is fielding questions from MPs on this. So that is a very, very strong contender for Top of the Poops indeed. Shosha, who's your nomination? 
So mine is Southwest Water, who in April were fined more than 2 million after a series of permit breaches and illegal discharges for sewage, harmful chemicals and bacteria flood protected areas um, between July 2016 and August 2020. Nice. Um, this bacteria is particularly offensive because one incident which occurred in Los Withiel in Cornwall saw raw sewage pumped into the River Foy for more than 12 hours despite control room alarms indicating there was an issue with the works. Um, we also saw at Watergate Bay in Cornwall sewage pumping out in 2016 for more than 35 hours and a sample taken from the stream nearby showed that E. coli levels were at 2,000 times higher than the level they would be classified as poor. Mm. Wow. So that's your patch. Yes, indeed. Nice. <laughs> I go Cornwall swimming there. Cornwall, yeah. <laughs> Watergate Bay. Really? Nice. Great. <laughs> uh, how does that compare with other fines then? According to the Environment Agency, this is the uh, largest fine imposed for environmental offences in this region. And the fine actually comes within the top 20 highest penalties given to water companies in the UK, according to the ENS Report Fine Monitor. Um, the largest fine was given to Southern Water in 2021 at more than 90 million. Cool. And it's yeah one of those top five fines of the year for water companies. How has Southwest Water responded to its top of the poops? So Susan Davey, who's the chief executive of the Penning Group, um, which owns Southwest Water, said at the time, any pollution incident is one too many. Uh, we might say there are many in there, um, so I'm not sure what that means. But there, these seven isolated incidents that took place between 2016 and 2020, she says, were unacceptable. And it's right they've been held to account by the EA. She also just wanted to emphasise they didn't happen because we didn't care. Um, we all do care. That was her last point. Everyone cares as the rivers flow with poo. Okay, so my honourable mention goes to Welsh Water for Top of the Poops. We now know that since 2018, uh, the nationalised water company in Wales has been issued with financial penalties for just three environmental permit breaches, despite nearly 400 enforcement cases being launched against it. So we know from NRW data that just 1.3% has resulted in a civil sanction being paid for just five cases in total. So I think that's pretty remarkable for a company that's been in such hot water that they've had such few enforcement cases resulting in a civil sanction being paid. For those interested in the majority of cases, at 78%, in fact, of the action that was taken was a warning. They got issued with a warning. Um, and in total of all the fines paid out to those listed by NRW, they've paid about £262,000, including court costs. So they're pretty remarkable and a good contender for Top of the Poops. Definitely. It's time now for our moment of the year where we look back and reflect on what's been. Let's start with Pippa. Pippa, what's your moment of the year? Uh, so I was looking back and thinking about some of the kind of biggest stories that we've done on ENDS in the past year. Um, and I wanted to give a shameless plug to my own investigation, which I did into the death of two men during the demolition of the former Teesside Freeport. So you should. My investigation basically revealed that the steelworks, which is still classified as one of the most hazardous sites in the country, um, a control of major accident and hazard site, 
suffered repeated operational failures at the hands of the government, which seemingly went unnoticed by the regulators that are entrusted to keep the people and the environment around it safe. You can read the full investigation on N's report or listen to us talk about the story in more detail on episode 48 of the podcast. Fantastic. Shosha, what's your moment of the year? So I think my moment of the year was actually part of doing the Eco Chamber podcast, um, which was speaking to John Curtin, who was the interim chief executive at the Environment Agency. Um, he's now left the EA and I think he's going on to be a professor, actually. Mm. Um, so good luck to him if he's happening to be listening. Um, but it was just great to have a sort of candid conversation with someone in that world about, you know, regulating the sewage crisis, but also looking at future issues such as how we're going to deal with drought and all of these water abstraction licenses. So if you want to go back and listen, I think that was um, episode 46. And we also did um, write up a feature on the ENDS report website for those subscribers who want more, because we did publish, um, I think, a video and, and more of the interview on there. Yeah, I like Curtin. I thought for his brief stint, I enjoyed his, you know, his social media postings, He's so the behind the scenes, and yeah, I thought it was a great conversation and definitely worth listening to, listeners, if you haven't yet. Uh, for my moment of the year, um, I'm just going to plug some of the the video content that you know, if you're a subscriber to Ends or if you take out a free trial, you can go and watch. Um, we did the most recently we had the Net Gain documentary, so. You know, those wanting a practical case study, go check out the Net Game film, which is a Homes England uh, development down in West Sussex. Take us through what habitats they're using to offset, mitigate um, house building there. Wildflowers. I really love wildflowers. Jake Fines from the Holcomb <laughs> Estate did a wonderful He's job. He's great. He's mm. really good. And he's he, gamekeeper turned conservation manager. Um, fantastic story about how they're, you know, making a business from wildflower meadows, what to do, what's coming down the line, really worth checking out the business of wildflowers. And finally, just the wilderness documentary, because like that's had such, you know, ramifications on triple size, our protections, what it means for them, what, you know, what this looks like in practice. Uh, so yeah, they, I, I've completely sort of gone for three moments of the year there, but I'm going to take it. And this is, you tell us your moments of the year, right? You know, you're interested in this stuff, you work in this stuff, you know, you're an academic, whatever it is, let us know. Ecochamber at haymarket.com uh, or tweeting on our socials using the hashtag Ecochamber. As we draw 2023 to a close, I just want to say thank you, listeners. I've absolutely loved hosting the Ecochamber, but do not worry. We will be back in January bringing you the latest environmental policy news from the 10th. My thanks to Shosha Aidy and Pippa Neal for coming on to this week's Christmas special. And until then, have a merry green Christmas and a sustainable new year. Until the next time, ho, 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 take care of yourself. <laughs>